Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn and Love hosted by Richard Osler. In my home to do this podcast, and it's always um, a pleasure to have people in the home to record podcasts are my friends Heather and Matt Robertson. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Thanks, Richard. I've known this good couple for several years. Of They've been walking the road as a parent of an LGBTQ child. And that will come up in the course of this conversation. Um, just a little background. This is a couple that's roughly in their 50s. One might be over 50 and one might be under 50. And you can, they may disclose that or may not. Um, they're pretty transparent. That's not a big deal. They've been married 30 years this year. Um, they live in South Salt Lake. Um, Matt um, works and teaches at Waterford School. And Heather works in customer service, putting together teams and also has gone back to school. This is a story about Heather, um, both of them being raised in the church, but Matt has resigned his membership in the church, and Heather continues to participate in the church, and they may mention kind of their individual kids' journeys. Um, And you may think that's sort of the end of the family or the end of the love story, the end of enjoying being together, but this wonderful couple has learned, no, that's, that's not the way it's working in our family. And this family is incredibly close. Yeah, it's different than it probably they thought they were when they got married 30 years ago and imagine their family, but it's a beautiful love story. And so I'm so glad they're being on the podcast because you may be in a mixed faith marriage, a mixed faith family, um, and wondering how do we keep the family circle together? And um, we can kind of theoretically talk about that, but this is a practical application of those principles. We started with prayer and um, this, and we just hope this podcast is helpful because a lot of families are navigating the reality that family members are no longer participating and are trying to navigate that road forward. Is that okay for an introduction? Wonderful. Yeah. Okay. We will just get you started. I don't know who's starting. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and just it introduce is Heather us a little is bit up more. to bat. Yeah. Thank go. you. Um, we, we met in our ward. We both, um, his family moved into my ward while he was on his mission and in, and this ward was in Sandy. Um, and we got married, moved to a lot of different States. We moved around quite a bit. We, we've moved 14 times, six different States, six different. I think that's right. And, um, wow. we had three children in three different States. I loved the We should adventure. have had like a punch card with U-Haul or something. That would <laughs> have been, right. that would work out great. Um, I love the adventure of it. I thought it was fun. Mm-hmm. We spent most of our time in Washington. Um, at some point during about this time, I think, um, well, no, actually, even I'm going to rewind a little bit. And before we were ever in Washington, soon after we got married, my uh, brother, who's two years younger than me, came out as gay. And he was the first real live gay person that <laughs> I knew. <laughs> And, um, at least knowingly, and I started observing that everything that I saw from him, everything that I saw in his, in his life, in his journey, in his struggle to understand himself was different than what I had thought I understood was different than what I felt like I had been raised to believe. Everything just seemed so different. And he remained just this amazing person. He's still one of the just finest people that I know. He's not in the middle of, he's either working or building community. He's either doing one of those two things at any given time. 
And then later, unbeknownst to me at that time, I had another brother who came out as gay later. And unfortunately, he, he passed away pretty recently. Um, but so I have these, these LGBT people in my family. And then my first real job that I ever got when we got married, we were getting married and people informed me that I would have to work at some point. <laughs> and so, the, so my first real job was working at a child care center. And I worked with infants and toddlers and a family came into the center and it was a lesbian couple with a young infant. And I remember, and that was kind of scandalous in 1993 that there was, you know, and I remember thinking like, what's my role here? What is my, what is my job? Because I know what the church teaches about about marriage and about traditional marriage and everything like that. I know what my job is here. I don't think the church doesn't want me to be kind. I don't, I don't want to not be kind, but how exactly am I supposed to respond in this moment? And I mulled that over a lot, both in the context of this couple and their, and their baby. And they were a darling couple, really sweet family. And, and again, just like not kind of what I was expecting. And then, um, and I just had this overwhelming sense if I've, and if I've ever had an interaction with deity, this was one where I just had this overwhelming sense of these people are here. They're real. This is a real live family that's right in front of you right now. The only thing that you need to care about is how do I show up for them? That's it. And everything else is crap. And so if you have um, worries about this, just put them aside. You're, that's not your concern. It's not any of your business is what I felt like. And I started to um, just lean into that and just feel like, wow, I don't even have to think about that. I don't have to worry about it. And, um, and started to feel uh, so much like society is better off. Communities are better off. My workplace is better off. Our neighborhood, everybody's better off. And especially this child is better off if this family is a strong family, if this family is a supported family. And so, hey, that's my job. Great. Let's do it. And, and that didn't take away wanting to support other families. That didn't change any of that. So, um, so I started developing a lot of kind of internal turmoil over the years partly around that issue, I would say mostly around those issues of feeling like there was conflict that was, that was hard for me to define. I didn't really have the words for it. And as it, as I look back now and have kind of a better vocabulary, I feel like I was experiencing a conflict between boundary maintenance and ministry that on the one hand, boundary maintenance, every organization has it, every organization needs it. If you show up in my fifth grade class and you're a seventh grader, I'm going to say, hey, this isn't the class for you. And this is, you know, this is a class for fifth graders. Every organization has boundary maintenance. There's behavior that, that I am then willing to accept and not willing to accept within my classroom. It, you have to have that or you don't have an organization. And, um, and on the other hand, then it's the, the ministry question is how do we meet people's needs? And I was feeling tension between that. And I didn't feel like in my classroom, a seventh grader shows up, I know right where to send them. I'm not going to teach them, but I know right where they need to go. And I know their needs are going to be met. And 
same with if somebody's behavior having, you know, kind of behavior issues. It's like, I know, I know right how to get them help. And that doesn't mean they can be in my classroom at that moment, but I know how to get their needs met. And I think I just felt a lot of tension around LGBTQ people and families around. They feel like an out group to me, but I don't see them being ministered to. I don't see how we are meeting their needs other than to tell them what the boundaries are. And I think over time that became a more and more kind of strenuous, difficult issue for me, especially in the context of that feeling I had of, um, and continued to have of my only job is just showing up for people. So during this time, we, when we were living in Washington, we went on a walk one day. I still remember exactly where we were standing. And, and Matt said to me, we, we started talking about gay people. Um, and he said to me, I, I think it might be a little bit like the, the priesthood man. I think maybe someday the brethren will open up the same blessings to, to LGBTQ people. And I was baffled. I, to say the least, I just thought, who is this person I'm married to? And I recited the proclamation to him and I just tried to pull him right back in line. And I look at that now, I feel such regret because what I really did was shut him down. I didn't listen. I just said, no, this is where we are supposed to be. This is what the brethren are saying. This is what God wants for us and wants us to be with uh, upholding. Um, So I did, I shut him down. And he did not talk about anything. We avoided the topic for 10 years. Mm. We didn't talk about it. It was very tense. Anytime that issue came up, we just didn't talk about it because we didn't agree. Right. And I have a lot of responsibility there too, where I just, it was very difficult for me. I didn't like, I still not crazy about it, obviously, but I don't think, I don't know if anyone's really crazy about it, but I was so conflict averse that I was unwilling to really have difficult conversations about that and would much rather just kind of close myself off than say, Hey, it feels like we're really not on the same page about this. And, you know, can we try to understand each other, not try to change each other's minds, but just try to understand. I was not in a place to be able to do that. Yeah. And I wasn't in a place to listen and really try to understand because it was so important to me that our family looked a certain way. And and not not necessarily looked, but ended up a certain way that we followed all the rules and did all the quote unquote right things. So having you challenge that was really threatening to me. So yeah, it, we just didn't talk about it anymore. Right. And then we moved back to Utah. Oh, and can I say really yeah, fast? Go ahead. I think that looking back, one thing that stands out to me is that I don't think that on an important issue like that. I don't think it worked for us to like build a wall on that one issue and have it not affect other areas of our marriage. You know, I don't think that I can close off a big part of my heart to the person that I'm closest to and still have, but everything else is, is amazing. I don't think it, you know, I don't think it had overall, that was a, not a, not a great time for us. Yeah. And that was, that was 2009 that we did that walk. And we moved back to Utah. I started noticing Matt's heart really wasn't in church so much. I I could see, I remember one talk we had 
I'm, I'm not seeing you reading your scriptures. You're not praying at night when I'm praying, you know, as we're going to bed. And I, I would bring these things up and it was always very distressing because I felt like what's happening here? You know, I'm, I'm not seeing this righteous priesthood holder leading our family the way that I always expected. And that was really hard for me. And so I was trying to get him to be that person. And I would bring that up. And and I would respond sometimes either with, well, there were different ways. I would either like, oh, sure, I'll say my prayers. And then I would just like <laughs> kneel down and go to sleep um, or just kind of ponder my day or something like that. And then. Which um, I laugh about now. Right, <laughs> right. Now we can laugh. But it was, yeah. It was stressful at the time. And then. Um, and things like, and I would actually, we had a great time. I love, still love the scriptures and we would, and, and I would like be happy with, I never felt amazing as a patriarch. That was something that never really made sense to me, the whole kind of system, but I would be thrilled to sit down and go through, like, let's talk about these scripture stories together. But they usually took like all these wild turns through like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Our- we were, we would <laughs> laugh a lot. And about. I would, I would laugh too. And then I would try to get everybody back on track. Yeah. <laughs> we, we did laugh a lot. And there would be, yeah. And it was, and I don't know, it, it, it's hard to explain exactly what that was like, but it was like, but, but, you know, scripture time was usually pretty casual and had a lot of laughter associated with it. And I think in some ways that was distressing as well, where it's like, it didn't look the way I it thought it was supposed to look. Right. I was not being the appropriate patriarch. And that not, was also not that I was like, you know, no, no, we would all you, still, yeah. yeah, yeah, we would all still laugh. And I felt like, I, I felt like it was fine, but it was just not exactly what was, um, what was expected, I guess. Yeah. So as I was noticing Matt not being as engaged at, at church and, and doing all the checkbox things. Sometimes I would come home from church. We lived at the time we lived two doors down from the church. So it wasn't very far. And I would, I was in young women's at the time and I forget something for my lesson, run home and he'd be sitting on the couch and like, what are you doing? I'd be like, I forgot my pen. (laughs) So he'd walk back to church with me. Wait, would you, do you stay at church then? I think mostly. (laughs) Well, I think I, I think I would say You did a lot of skipping. There was a lot of skipping going on. In my defense, it was three-hour church and priesthood was really boring. (laughs) But anyway, so um, I think sometime around that time, we had noticed our, so our youngest child is Luca. Our son Luca is, was identified female at birth. And Luca, um, at that time, we noticed him in middle school becoming more and more kind of distressed and withdrawn. And this child who had always been so bright and happy and cheerful and engaged um, became just very, we were just worried. And at, um, and I remember sitting down with Luca on the edge of his bed and he expressed, um, he, he came out to me and I will, Never for I've never in my life seen somebody so afraid as I saw Luca at that moment. Him staring at the floor as he kind of made it a little bit little side comment. 
um, as part of what he was saying and the way that he spoke it, how soft it was. And I just had this feeling of he is terrified right now. And as a dad, I just, I desperately wanted to just make that feeling go away and just sweep him up in my arms and just, and just say, no, you're fine. Everything is fine. Every, and, and I, at the same time, I knew that there was nothing I could say in that moment. Other, you know, I could say all the reassuring things and I certainly tried to, but that fear and that feeling was something that he was in the midst of right then. And there was nothing I could do that would make it completely go away. He told us later that he was worried that we would kick him out. He was 15. I, I was like, what have we ever done as parents that would make you think we would ever do that to you? Yeah. It was, it, but it was an indicator of how scary that, that moment was for him. But he, um, you know, we talked at that point and he said, I would like to tell mom. So please don't tell mom. I will tell mom when I'm ready. And I would like to tell mom. And I said, okay. And then we went through a few weeks of, Heather's a very sensitive person. And I, I don't knew think, something was up. Yeah. Something was going on. Something major was going on. And I think through a couple of little things that were said, I think you got a pretty good idea of at least the genre of what was going on. Yes. And we went on, the, on this walk. We used to go on, on this walk um, nightly, but mm-hmm. this particular walk, we, we were talking about this and I, I said, Luca came out to you. And I, I think Luca's a lesbian and you just kind of nodded or something. I can't remember, I but you were, do, yeah. you were very respectful of Luca's boundaries, but it was clear. I, maybe you didn't even answer, but I just knew, I knew mm-hmm. what was going on. And we started talking about it and I thought, I really looked at it as this is like the Abrahamic covenant. Like this, this is, this is what I I, I will stand up for what I believe is right, regardless of what anybody says. And I thought, I, I said Abrahamic covenant. What, what's the Abrahamic word? Sacrifice. Test. Abrahamic test. Abrahamic yeah. test. Yeah. And I was thinking, um, I, can, I can love and support my child, but I will still stand firm with what the brethren are teaching because that's, that's what's right. And I felt really strongly about that. But I still couldn't quite make sense of that. How do I do this and still show my child how much I love them? How do I do this and stay married to Matt? That was the part that was really scary to me because I knew. I knew where he stood already, even though we didn't talk about it. I knew and it terrified me that we would be in a place where we couldn't agree and that we were so drastically different in. And, and I love Matt, obviously, always have. And I love the church. And how do I do this? How do I make sense of this? And it, there was so much turmoil inside of me. At the same time, we, we had a CD, a certificate of deposit that was about to mature. <laughs> like, Heather's a very practical person. <laughs> so I was like, okay, 
if we're going to divorce, this is a good time. <laughs> I want to know how we're going to disperse this money. I don't want to put it invested again. <laughs> I remember you saying we're in a really good place in our relationship right now. Like we're in a good place. We should probably split while we're in a good place. And we can talk it's about things because it's going to get ugly. <laughs> we did. We talked about divorce and that like, is this the best move forward? How do we how do we navigate this space? Um, and and I was really concerned at the time. Too, I thought, you know, if we are able to make this work, can you see me as a good person who's trying to do what's right? Can you see me as a good mom? And I, that was really scary to me. And I feel like that was a big moment for me to recognize that, because I think I had spent a lot of time feeling fear of judgment about where I was in the church, about um, what kind of dad I would be to Luca under the circumstances, about, you know, a, worried about Heather's judgment of me. And I had to realize in that moment that I was having judgment of Heather, that I was not seeing Heather as just fully herself as a, as a mom who was just doing her very best to do the best by her child. And that the fact that we disagreed about exactly how to handle things didn't mean that Heather was the lesser parent or the bad guy or the, you know, any of those things that this was that if we were going to have a marriage and move forward, that it, it also meant that I could not be looking at Heather as, oh, Heather's just some brainwashed automaton doing what she's told to see her as a full person who is living up to her life the very best way that she can. I'm trying to do what I felt like Heavenly Father wanted me to do. Right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I knew I had to dig deep at this point. This is where this, this felt to me like the moment where the, I really had to make a decision. And I felt like my marriage and my relationship with my child depended on me making the right decision. So I was no longer going to rely on the words that I heard in general conference or a church. I wanted to go straight to the source and know for a surety what was right, what his will was and what I needed to do as a mother and a wife. So I dug deep. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to go because everywhere I had gone in the past were words from these same people. And I wanted, I wanted somebody I could talk to who, who had seen both sides, who was more open. And actually, that's, that's when Matt told me about you, Richard, and told me about your podcast. and. We knew your brother at the time. He was our home teacher and we just love that man. And so I thought, okay, I trust him. That's a pretty Christ-like man. Richard's got to be pretty cool too. So <laughs> yep. I remember we were Facebook friends and I don't even remember how. I don't remember because I didn't you know didn't, you, you per se. To his podcast and I hadn't even listened to the podcast or anything, but I just, but I'd seen enough of your posts to know because Heather was like, I need somebody I can talk with who I can trust. And that's not you. And I sure as heck don't trust you <laughs> to learn about LGBTQ people, but who has genuine church. respect for, for the church, has genuine respect for the church. And I don't, I don't know where to go. And I was like, well, this Richard Osler guy seems to be in, in the space that you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I just dug in and I was devouring episodes one after another in hearing stories of LGBTQ people. And my heart was softened. And I suddenly, and I, 
And I was reading any book I could get my hands on and any article and listening to just scores of things it, within a five-day period. Wow. I crammed so much to where I landed in this space of, I don't agree with what's being taught in the church right now. I don't want my child to be alone their whole life. I don't think that's good for them. And I don't think Heavenly Father would want that for them either. So that was so impactful. And Matt and I often talk about how the work that you do saved our marriage because I felt like it opened up this this area where it was okay for me to really think about these things and to be able to see people in a different way and find ways that I can just trust people in their journeys. I one of the books I read was um Tom Christopherson's book that that we may be one. Is that what it's called? Yeah. And I wrote I wrote down this quote that uh Richard G. Scott said and he was talking to parents and leaders of youth and he said, trust them. In some cases, it may seem difficult to trust, but find some way to trust them. The children of Father in Heaven can do amazing things when they feel trusted. Every child of God in mortality chose the Savior's plan. Trust that given the opportunity, they will do so again. That quote gave me so much peace, and it helped me stop and realize my children already have a Savior. I don't need to be that for them. My job is to be their mom. And a mom loves our kids. You know, a mom loves, loves her children and, and wants them to be the best people they can be and wants them to have a fulfilling life. And if that means a partner that they choose, I'm going to support that. I'm going to be there for that. And I'm going to trust in this case that Luca would find his way and would know where to go. My job is to be a mom. And the Savior can be the Savior. I just kept thinking that. It was like a mantra for me during that time. I remember too feeling like, I mean, I know you did come to that, to a different feeling about Luca's options for the future. And I feel like we could have still been okay if you hadn't. Do you know what I mean? Like, even I think that as far as like, I think it was really critical that you, like if I, what am I trying to say? I think if you had some of your perhaps more kind of dogmatic religious beliefs really shifted. Yes. And I don't mean dogmatic pejoratively. I just mean like, you know, they were very kind of strong, concrete, whatever. Some of those things shifted. I think that I don't feel that that shift was as important as the general openness to just seeing Luca and being able to, like, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think, I don't, I don't think anybody has to give up their faith to get into a place where they can be truly supportive of LGBTQ people. I guess that's what I'm really trying yeah. to say. Yeah. And I certainly don't think that you needed that you needed and, and, you know, that you needed to give up your faith for us to have a good marriage or anything like that. Yeah. And I never felt that from you. That was one thing that was really wonderful during this whole transition. I, I mean, after this, this week of intense study, 
I, I did go to Matt and, and I apologized to him. And I, I said, I'm so sorry. You, know, you, you tried to tell me and I wouldn't listen. And I was wrong. And I'm so sorry. And I felt like a wall just fell in that moment. He just started sobbing. Wow. It was really powerful. And it was a really uniting time in our marriage where we, where I, I was humbled. And I, I wanted to know more about where he was with things. Um, in fact, I, I, I went through this period of grief where I realized I will never know the mat of 2018. I missed it. I'll never know the mat of 2015. I was so intent on him being a certain way or our family looking a certain way that I didn't give space and I didn't, I, I didn't hold this curiosity into really knowing him. And I, I, I've had to grieve that. I missed it. So that's, that's been something that's been really profound for me. Um, but this, this whole time really opened up this thought that we just wanted to support each other in each other's journey. You know, I, I was choosing to trust my children and I needed to trust Matt too. And I needed to let go of the control that really wasn't working anyway. It never does, you know, and, and it's hard. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy. So it was, it was so nice to just trust him and just let go and let him walk his journey wherever that takes him. I feel like that, that became a mantra for our whole family at that time. Um, yeah. And we learned to see that as being a, um, I don't know. It's okay if I mentioned yeah, differentiation that the, you know, we learned to see that we, we've come to understand that principle as being something uh, that I hear a lot lately about differentiation, that the idea of, of saying like, we are different people, we are different people from each other. And, and it is okay that we are different people from each other, everyone in the family. And the fact that somebody in the family chooses something different. I mean, yes, we expect people to behave respectfully towards each other. We expect, you know, there, it's, it's not that there are no boundaries on anything. But the idea that somebody believes something different, the idea that we don't, that we're not all in lockstep with each other on every issue is not a barrier to being close to each other, is not a barrier to not to be, you know, in that moment when I was sobbing, I just felt seen. I didn't feel like Heather was saying, oh, I agree with everything about, you know, that, that we think exactly the same on everything. Not at all. I just felt like, oh, Heather really sees me and wants to know me. And then, and I was able to do much more of the same. I think that's been difficult for me over time, like to, to be able to let my guard down and say, I really want to know you and hearing with just genuine curiosity, what's going on with you, what's happening inside of you right now, doesn't mean that I have to change it. I don't have to fix it. I don't have to do anything to it. I just want to know. I just want to see. Yeah. Yeah, be curious has been a big mantra of ours. Yeah. I think it's really opened up a lot of things for us. And so we've been through like intense change, you know, after that. I know like um, Miles, our son, who you know, is um, he left the church and um, and Miles and Maddie are now living in Florida and they're fabulous. and They're wonderful. They're doing great. 
but they um and then um emily our middle child our daughter um came out to us as asexual and has also has also stepped away from the church um we kind of this the same another mantra that we develop is is no empty chairs but it's all for now no empty chairs at our table right now we'll let heaven take care of heaven we'll let god take care of all of that whatever you know whatever happens but our job is no empty chairs right now because how can we expect no empty chairs in heaven if we can't figure out how to do that right now if our children don't feel safe in our homes and want to be with us right now that was paramount in our family at that time everyone belongs and every journey is valid there there are lessons to every choice we make and all of that is part of somebody's journey and the best way for people to go through their journey is to not have to fight or prove themselves in the meantime if they can just focus on what they feel is right for them and they have the support of family to do that, then they're going to end up in their end point in a healthier, faster way. So I didn't feel any need to, and nor did I desire to tell my kids how they should be living their life. I just, it's not that I let them do anything they wanted, you know, and I would share, you know, this, this, and this makes me nervous, but you have my support, you know, because I'm, I'm human. And I, and I'm their mother, I still have a job to do. So there's, there's that side of it. But I, in the end, I'm here to support and love you and trust you to figure it out. I feel like my parents gave me such, so much trust to become who, who I am. You know, I felt so much love from them. They are such good examples to me. And I just, I just want to be like them. They're good parents. They did such an amazing job with us um, as a married couple with every move, every, you know, what's Matt going to do with his career? What's going on with that family? What's happening with them? We never felt judgment. They didn't offer advice unless we asked. They were incredible with that. They were incredible with that. And we, and the thing is the fact that they were in that kind of space made it more likely that we would ask. Yeah. And then, and more likely that we would listen when they, you know, when they shared, but that was like, they, yeah, they did a phenomenal, we, we talk about that every once in a while when it's like, can you believe when we were loading up the car to move to this place, they didn't even say anything. They didn't even, you know, and it's like, you know, but they, they were, but so they, did, they were great. We've had a lot of good, yeah, just parental support in general for all of our little harebrained things we've done. <laughs> they, um, the other thing I think I wanted to mention that kind of became, I don't know, if, you know, something that, that, that I think about a lot or that, that we think about is the juxtaposition of Alma 31 and Alma 32. And I don't know if you remember, Richard, we talked about this years ago, but the, but the idea of, and this is, and it might seem weird that the guy who's resigned from the church is quoting from the Book of Mormon, but that's, but there it is. There's um, still value. Oh, I have a ton of value in that, ton of value. And Alma 31 is the chapter with the Ramiumptum where the, you know, where the um, Zoramites, I think are are all, you know, they, they all get up and they say the same thing. And they basically say, we're neat. Everybody else is dumb. And isn't it great that we're so neat? And then they get down and then they don't 
get together, you know, and then they get together again and do it. I see that as being an incredibly unified group. So much unity in that group. My goodness, they say exactly the same thing all the time. They have very, very strong boundaries. That's phenomenal boundary maintenance. They have like absolute clarity about who is the in group and who is the out group. Absolutely zero concern for the out group. Zero empathy for the out group. Zero, you know, all of that stuff. But, you know, but as far as like, boy, they got their boundary maintenance tight. They've got that down. Alma 32 comes along and we've got a ministry happening. There's the ministry side of things to those who are least and lost. I, I love that phrase. And I think that it, it speaks so much to what happens so much in what we understand about Jesus ministry is always reaching out to those who are least and lost. And so these people are, you know, they lack belonging in their community. They lack um, a, a sense of their own connection with, you know, with, with each other and with, and, and spiritually and all of these things. And, and Alma I think it's Alma. Was that an Alma? I think yeah. it was Alma, right? That yeah. was like, um, that is, that goes to this thing of like plant a seed. Let's talk about this, you know, and, and it's, it becomes a, a kind of a garden metaphor. And I think the, the only thing that is different for me, so this is where the philosophies of Matt get mingled with things, but the, but the, but where, as far as the, um, I guess in, in my view at this point, it's just that I'm very curious about the garden. I'm very curious about anybody's garden. Instead of saying like, let me tell you what to say on the Rami Amptum. I've got all the answers for you. Let me tell you what's going on here. I'm very curious about what have you planted? What is, how is it growing and how is that working for you? Tell me about that. Tell me about your garden. Tell me about what's going on. Tell me about what's happening in your life. Tell me what's, you know, and then there's so much room for so many people to have different experiences and to say they don't have to be the same experience as my experience for me to see it as a valid experience. Doesn't have to be, you know, and, and the fact that what I am growing in my garden is working really well for me doesn't mean that that's going to work for everybody else. During this time, well, no, go yeah. ahead. No, you're good. The, the um, just the, along those same lines, I, I, that's one thing that we have learned. I and mean, there are so many lessons and ways that, that our marriage has improved over the course of the last four years. Um, but one of these has to do with this differentiation and just recognizing that homogeny isn't unity. We don't have to think the same and be the same and have the same goals and the same everything to be unified and to be happy together. In fact, I feel like the fact that we are so different from each other, we have different core values. We have different, uh, so many things that are different, different hobbies, different things that um, some might say make us incompatible. But I feel like it has increased my growth and my um, ability to love and understand people that are different than me. So I've, I've loved that. And I, I think the fact that we are different has, has made things hard, yeah. but made things so much better. I agree. And Absolutely. Wonderful. And I to didn't mean to say that. yep so fast when you said it's made things hard. <laughs> hey, okay. So you're, you're, we got to tell your, your underwear story. Oh, okay. It's kind of funny. <laughs> okay. Especially, we can't just set that up and leave it. That's okay. So the, um, no, during this, so I kind of, 
was probably, I will, yeah, I'm becoming more and more during all of this time period kind of feeling like, um, a pulling away from the church as far as you know, that my own path was not taking me in that direction. And, um, and so there was one morning that I said to Heather, I'm going to run to the store. And I was like, you don't, what, what do we need at the store? What do we need at we the just store? Got back we, yeah, the store. we just got back. We've got everything. What do you need? And I was like, very sheepish about it. But I was like, I kind of want to go buy some just like regular underwear. He said he had so much fear on his face. I yeah. could see. And I was just like, it's fine. Yeah. You know, I just, I didn't and make a big like, deal. That's fine. It's not, buy I, yourself I don't underwear. make your underwear choices. You do what you, you know, you do what you want to do. But inside. Okay. So that might yeah. be how I was looking on the outside. And that's how I felt like I should respond because of all the things we are learning about differentiation and just trusting each other's journey. But inside I was freaking out. I'm like, yeah, honest. yeah it was really hard. It's like, I don't want him to stop wearing his garments. I don't want that to be that way. I want him to be in the same place as me. It's more comfortable. And, and I felt like I needed the support. I, I felt like my world was falling apart. You know, all three kids leaving the church and here goes my husband too. So I, I was really scared. But above all, we respect each other's journeys and we trust each other. And that's, and our, and I feel it, I felt it from our kids as well. None of them were doing it the exact same way either. And they all trusted each other. And this became the most important thing in our family. It was very unifying and I loved that. So, so I was going to support you getting your own underwear. Getting your own underwear. <laughs> and then of course I go to the grocery store to buy underwear because I've never, I've never, I have no idea how to do anything. So anyway, the, um, Around March of what was it would have been 2020, I called. I remember calling our. I was serving as the um, primary chorister, primary chorister, which I which loved he's doing. So good at. Oh my goodness, he's so. I love watching. Oh, that. thank you. You're so he's the, in the right profession. Well, the um, but I went. I, I called the bishop, and he was a great guy. And we had actually a really nice conversation. And I just mm-hmm. said, I told him where I was. I said, I feel like I have. You know, and I said, and I was like, I, you know, I know this might come as a surprise. I haven't disclosed this to you when we have met previously. I haven't, you know, at the time I was an active temple recommending holding, uh, recommend holding member of the church and everything. And it's like, I, and I just told him, I said, you know, we, you, you know, about our son, you know, about all this, but I've, you know, this is the journey that I've been on. And I just feel like my playlist as the primary chorister is getting too short that all I want to sing with the kids anymore is I'm trying to be like Jesus and I'll walk with you. And I can't just te- keep teaching them those two songs <laughs> and the other songs are getting very difficult for me, a lot of them. And so, and I feel like I just can't, I just can't keep doing this. And so I feel like I need to be released from my calling and I will bring you my temple recommend. And He was so great in that phone call because he, I feel like he approached it with genuine curiosity and that he just was like, was like, tell me more, tell me what's, you know, and, and I didn't feel any sense of, of judgment or any sense of, he just genuinely wanted to know and, um, was asking me about, you know, like when I mentioned the temple recommend, he said, he said, well, what is it that makes you feel like 
because I, I said, I don't think the church would want me to have a temple recommend right now. And he's, he's like, well, what is it that makes you feel that way? If you know, if you don't mind me asking. And, and I told him, I said, well, let me tell you what my beliefs are right now. And I, you know, and I kind of just walked through and he was like, no, I can see why you would say that. I can see why you would say that, that, that probably doesn't fit with, with, with holding a temple recommend. I totally understand that. And then he asked me about things like he asked me about how do you want me to handle this? Is it okay with you if I tell the ward council? Is it okay with you or do you want this to be private? Is it okay with you if, how do you feel about visits? How do you feel about, um, you know, whatever? And, and it just, it made it so much easier for me to have a more, because I was like, I still want to be a friend. I still want to be a neighbor. I don't want anyone to act weird around me. I don't want, you know, and, and yeah, go ahead and tell the word council. This isn't secret. This isn't, you know, and, and I don't want to, you know, any, anyway, it was just, it was great. And then we ended up moving. Oh, and then of course, I'm well, sorry. Well, and, and you remember he asked you what, what could have, I can't remember exactly the question, but what you said about our family. Oh yeah. He was, yeah. Just talking about our journey with Luca and, and watching, I said at one point, I said, I said, you know, from my perspective, the church has, has utterly failed our little family. There was, you know, we have a child who is having this struggle and there's no place for this child. There's no place for, and there's no, for the strength of youth pamphlet for, for gay kids, for gay kids. (laughs) There's no, there's no, basically there's no ministry available for, for our child. And this is, and, um, and what I appreciated so much, I think it's a pretty harsh thing for me to say in a way, like the church has utterly failed our family. And I think it would have been really easy in that moment for him to become defensive or for him to share, you know, feelings about, but this is what the church does for your family. The church's job is this, how could you misunderstand or how, you know, whatever. And he just said, I'm so sorry. And I did not in that moment for a second think that he agreed with me or that he felt like that I had completely changed his mind about everything LGBTQ related or that I had, I didn't think that I just thought he is seeing me in this moment. That's all. He's just seeing me and he's just reaching out to me human to human and saying, I am so sorry that, that this has been your experience, that this is how this has gone down for you. That was a powerful moment for me. And then the next, so here he's resigned from his calling and handed over his recommend. And the next morning was the earthquake. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because of course it was. We were like, no humanitarian aid for the Robertsons. We were That's laughing it. Yes. so hard. The timing of it was hilarious. Yes. It was pretty funny. <laughs> but then we moved. Here we go again. We moved to a different ward. Of course, it's during COVID. Um, so it was a little while before we got to know people in the new ward. Um, but the um, the bishop called, wanted to call me to be a, a primary teacher. And as we were having that discussion, this was the first time I'd seen him in person, this bishop. And I'm sitting in his office and he doesn't know anything about me. It's the day after my mom's funeral. Oh my I'm gosh. a mess. He didn't even know my mom had died. You know, it was just, it was a really tender time. And he said, or I, I told him, I said, you know what I did before you call me, I need you to know a little bit about me. I didn't feel like I was the same person that I was before. 
the the good little soldier, I guess. I don't know how to better describe that. But I, I just felt like I, I need him to know my faith is a lot more complicated now. And did he still want me? They still want me to be in that calling. So I had done this presentation and I said, I would like you to watch this presentation about how my heart changed over LGBTQ issues. Um, I want you to watch it first. And I was scared to death because I was vulnerable in that, telling my journey. And the next Sunday, he waved me down from the pulpit after, after like right after church was over, sacrament meeting was over. And he was like, wait, wait. So I took him a while to get to me. And then he said, I listened to, or I watched your presentation. And I was so, I was just shaking. You I was so, so nervous. nervous. I remember you were nervous going to church that day. Yeah. I didn't know. Cause it was, that was right after COVID lifted. We started going back. Yeah. And I, I just didn't know how would I be seen? How would I, you know, do I have any value here anymore? Do I belong? Church had been so hard for me during that time. Um, but it, he, what his response to me after watching the presentation was, Heather, you are so filled with love. That's exactly why we need you in the primary. Wow. To this day, I just love this man so dearly because he made me feel like an asset, not a liability to the church. That was huge for me. And that, hands down, that is the reason I still attend because of that response he gave me that day. That I, through the experiences that I have had, that I have even more to offer instead of, oh, you're not as, not a good little Mormon girl we thought you once were. So, you know, that's what I was afraid of. But instead he valued me for um, who I was. And that I know was, that was a big deal. And, and along with that, I think I can't even describe what it does for me as Heather's, as, as Heather's husband and partner and that we're in this together and to see her valued that way um, also made it really easy for me to like, I do things like I play the piano for the ward in primary. Sometimes they need somebody to sub or whatever. I'm happy to go do that. And, and I'm like, well, how could I look how they're treating my wife? This is like, it's, it's, you know, I love how, how the ward values Heather exactly who she is and where she is and that and i'm and i'm like well of course these people are of course i'm going to show up and help yeah i've loved that i like having you there too it's fun. fun yep so over the time you know all of the all of these things obviously changes in our family they uncover cracks in our marriage you know i i don't think it's the changes themselves it's the challenges that we had during that time and how we navigated them and how we saw each other during those times. So we, um, I, I just really kind of developed, we talked a lot about this too, how we had a lot of conflict during these years, a lot of conflict, but we've changed our perspective through the help of our, of our therapist. Honestly, he's been fantastic. We've, we've loved um, what we've learned from our therapist. I, I've come to understand that conflict in marriage and any relationship, conflict is a doorway to connection. And if we have that perspective, when we are talking with each other and there's some conflict that comes up, instead of thinking, how do we get out of this as soon as possible and make everything okay again? 
we have the perspective of what can I learn about my partner during this time? What can I understand about him more and see, understand his, his heart and his journey? And, and it does connect you more. If you can put aside who's right and who's wrong and just listen to each other with the, with the curiosity to just know your partner and put away any defensiveness. It's completely changed our marriage. And I, I love where we are right now. I feel closer to Matt than ever. And, and I do think it's possible. I know there are people who can reach that level of vulnerability and transparency with their partner and find out that it's no longer a fit. That can happen. And I have no sense of, of judgment for what happens with anybody else. I just am and I don't think we're trying to portray any of this as being like, we've got the secret sauce and the right way yeah. to fix everything for everybody. This is just like, this, this is, is our journey. This is what's growing yeah. in our garden and this is working and we feel really good about it. And that's it. So during this time, Matt, um, he had said he wanted to resign from the church and I wasn't ready. I felt like even if, even if that union wasn't the way I pictured it, it still was a symbol of our, our commitment to each other. And then it became more clear that it was painful to him to be a member of record. And so I finally told him, you know, if you need to do that, I understand. And I'm ready when you are. So he did October, 2022. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like within a week of me saying that he had his letter in and the letter was beautiful. The way that he, he just clearly stated to the bishop, he wanted to send it to the bishop and stake president and have it be a local thing. Um, it was a beautiful letter of, I want to be involved where I can. I'm, I want to be a good neighbor. I want to help where I can. If, if you are, um, okay with this, I would love to still participate in state choir. You know, he was still so willing to help where he could, but he couldn't have his name. Attached. Yeah. And I, I, and I feel like, which might seem kind of counterintuitive, but I feel like for me, I had resigning had more to do with wanting to be engaged as a neighbor and a friend than with wanting to disengage because I needed to be able to say, this is, you know, I, I do not have the same set of beliefs. I do not have the same, this is, this does not fit for me. And I do not fit as a member of the church. I think by resigning, what that did for me was to be able to say, I can make that statement. I've made kind of the ultimate statement of that. And then I don't feel any need to defend it. I don't feel any need to like show up at church and say, you know, and I, uh, yeah, like if I'm sitting in primary and they're singing a song that I'm like, that doesn't fit my beliefs. I don't have to say anything. I don't feel any, I don't feel compelled to argue with anyone or to, you know, or to say, I want to make, I want to make clear for the record, this is where I stand on this thing. It's like, I don't have to do any of that. Yeah. You really, you, I remember you saying you felt like you could be a better person by not being a member. Yeah. And even to show up for your students that way, you weren't on a team anymore. Right. Like you could just be there. I, for I'm just there. Yeah, I'm just there and I and I want to be there as much for my Latter-day Saint students as for any of my, you know, as for my Muslim students and my atheist students and my everybody. But and I don't 
and I, and again, I'm not saying this is like, is like, this is what people should do. This is just what has, um, this is just what has worked for me. And, um, and I don't, and, and I don't say it in any way is like, this is what I recommend. It's just, this is just my journey. Um, we had that conversation in the bedroom. Did you want to talk about that? I don't know. I'm worried about. Keep going. I think our listeners don't want you to cut anything out. Okay. <laughs> All right. I'm speaking for our listeners right now. I, I think. Okay. So there was that. This was an important conversation too. And this was pretty recent. Yeah. I think that um, it's hard to describe the, I, I think it, it's, you know, right now I could be um, talking about things in the past that have happened and it's, it's um, easy to just lay out, well, this happened and this happened and this happened. And it sounds almost, can sound almost kind of like, well, this was flippant. This was easy. This was, and there was nothing easy about oh, any this of this. Thing was hard. There's nothing easy yeah. about any of this. And I feel like, and I, this conversation one morning we had. <gasps> oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Can we go back one second? Sure. I, I wanted to mention when you did resign, I just, it, it was such an eye opener to me when you, so he mailed the letter. And then, and he, and I said, how do you feel? And it's like, fine. It just didn't seem like any big deal. Like, I've prepared for this for years. Yeah, I've been planning on this. And then the next day, the day that he expected that they would receive that letter, he was, he came home from work and just sobbed, sobbed. And I sat there and he, he was just, it was heartbreaking to watch how much pain he was in. He said, this feels like a death. And I don't feel like I had a choice. I had to leave. And, and from his perspective, why couldn't the church be better? He wanted to be a member and be here, but couldn't because of, of the way that it was affecting you and others. And that, that was a big eye opener to me, just how, how much it hurt. It wasn't something that he was like, woohoo. Sign the paper. I'm out of here. It it was, it was with a lot of thought and a lot of pain and grief. There was a lot of grief. There's a lot of grief, definitely. Yeah. And um. Yeah, and I think the and that other yeah the other conversation is was related. I think where you were saying, I, I think I brought up something about, um, you know what I am the things that are good about me are not because of the church. There oh, are. Yeah. yeah. And back to the conversation. And I right. said, and I, and I, and then I went ahead and spoke for Heather, which is a great idea, not a great <laughs> idea and said, and spoke for Heather's journey and said to Heather, all of the great things about you are not because of the church. They are because of you as a person They are because of you. That is not why. And, and Heather, I said, Nope, yeah, you're wrong. Nope. You're wrong. This I feel is, like I am who I am. And the good things in me are because of the church. It, that's, that's my experience. Yeah. And then I was like, that's not true. And then it was, the conversation did not enter go well. Conflict. for Yeah, enter conflict, <laughs> exactly. And, um, and then we had this moment where it was like the conversation just broke and something broke inside of me where I was like, I, I, why am I crying in all of our stories? But anyway, they, you were crying I, started, I was yeah. crying. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I just said, I, 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 just said, I tried so hard. I tried so hard. Why didn't it work for me? Um, and I think in that, 
in that moment, we just kind of saw each other and I could recognize like, oh, it's real what Heather is saying. The church really is that for her, really did that for her, really made her the person she is. And that doesn't mean that that my journey in the church is wrong or 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 that you didn't try hard or enough. that I didn't try hard enough that this wasn't yeah that this this was all because I just didn't try hard enough and I could grieve that loss on a different level um and that's something that we've realized too is that if you if you don't grieve what you hoped for that is that is lost it's very hard to appreciate what you have now and to be in in the present moment with that so and that's something that I have really um, learned over the course of the last four years, you know, our family's been through a lot of change as we've described. Um, there's been a lot of loss, a lot of loss. And I mentioned my, my mom passed during this time and my dad passed, um, last during the spring. I miss him. Sorry. But the grief is a gift. The grief from all of it, from my parents, from our children leaving from from this idealist family that I thought I would have. It's it it's all been grief, but with the grief comes gratitude, comes growth comes increased love, connection. And I don't believe I could have all of those things without allowing myself to grieve. The grief I have for my parents has only enhanced the love I have for them and the gratitude I have for the people they were and the impact they were in my life. I love and honor them. And I embrace that grief because it's part of the package. And the depth of my grief equals the depth of my joy. And so I'll take it. One thing I I wanted to mention as we're talking about grief, (laughs) Matt was grieving the loss of his LDS identity. A lot of people, sometimes when I've kind of shared a little bit about Matt's journey with people, they've said, oh, I'm so grateful that he's not one of those angry ex-Mormons. Well, he's doing it the right way. Sentences like that. And I, I feel like that needs to go away. That thought needs to leave. Anger is a secondary emotion. It is masking something else, some other pain or regret, or, you know, all kinds of different emotions that it it could be manifesting itself through anger. So when people say they need to let go of that anger, feels to me more like they're saying they need to put a lid on it and get in line. I, I know that's not always what people are saying, but that's how I experience that sentence. So when people say, you know, talk about someone who has left the church as being angry, I think we could do better. We can instead say, wow, what, what do you think this person's really experiencing? What, what would make them feel 
angry? What, what other things could be under that? And how can we help heal those parts of them? They'll get over the anger more quickly than just telling them to stop being angry. So I, I think, you know, let, let them be angry. If people are angry, let them and listen. And then the elevator will come down. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we, we often, we cannot, it, it's like our emotions are in elevator and we cannot operate with, on floor eight. We have to bring it down to floor one before we can deal with any of the real issues. So help bring people down to floor one. And that's where the work can happen. And let's let them feel angry as long as they need to and recognize that as their way of manifesting their pain. It's hard. It's hard to leave the church, to feel judged by the community that's been your family. And so many people experience the, um, you know, you leave and here, here you've dedicated your life, your so money, so much money, so much, you know, like all these different things that time you spent in callings and you leave and people just, it's gone, it's over. You're not talked to anymore sometimes, you know, and people experience it different ways. But, but those feelings come about, of course, there's going to be some pain and people might feel anger because of that pain. But let's slow down and look about what's really going on. You know, maybe say, thank you for all you did while you were in the church. Thank you for your service. You know, listen, ask questions. There's so much silence around the whole thing, so much shame. When I see Matt now as a better person than he's ever been, he is becoming more loving. I mean, he's always been loving, but he's, he's more loving, more understanding, more supportive. He's never once put pressure on me to, to follow his path or do things like him. He's just like, hey, you, you do this. This is an important part of, of, of you and your heritage. I'll support you in any of it. You know, I'm, let's just do that for each other. Let's support each other in, in, in our journeys and, and help heal pain and stop judging people over the, the emotions that they may be experiencing. So where we are now, I mean, we've kind of covered a lot of that. I just yeah. feel like, um, I mean, like we've mentioned, Matt comes to church with me a lot. I love my my little primary kids so much. They're so I, sweet. They're I love kids. the kids I or the the people I serve with so much. A lot of my faith has changed. I don't want to present myself as the same person I was. Um, and I go to church for different reasons at this point. But it's still where I feel like I belong right now. And I feel, I feel love for this community and it is a part of my identity and it's where I want to be. So. You're so cool. <laughs> so that's us. I kind of wrote, stop writing down things, listeners, like I usually do. I did write down some things and just thought, I want to listen to what I'm learning from this wonderful couple. This is a, one of the very best podcasts we've ever done in creating a strong marriage and differences. And this principles you teach help other marriages model what you're doing to remain. I think a lot of people want to keep their marriage together and want to figure out a way to make it work, but don't necessarily have the skills to do it and don't hear stories like yours that give them hope that it can be done. 
really a terrific podcast. You two are, you've been on this road so long. It's helpful, I think, for people new on this road to your elevator comment of getting from the eighth floor to the first floor was a home run comment, just visually. I didn't coin that. But, <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. It's a good visual. Here's some things I wrote down, listeners, just not as many as usual, I think, because I just wanted to enjoy what I was learning. I love your um, boundary maintenance, but also ministry analogy from what you do at Waterford in the fifth grade versus seventh grade. It was really helpful. Um, I can't read my own writing, <laughs> so I'll just skip that one. Um, we can let heaven take care of heaven, but there's going to be no empty chairs now. And then you kind of inferred, and I think this is you, Heather, that that's maybe creating heaven now helps us have heaven then. We don't just wait till then. That that was such a co- wonderful comment. I loved your both of your bishops that you mentioned. I loved this bishop, your first bishop before you moved, Matt. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if he'll ever listen to this, but I love his natural ministering heart. He was curious. How do you want me to handle this? And then you brought me to tears when you said the church has failed my children. And he could have pivoted like I would have pivoted, probably. (laughs) And most, because your natural reaction is to point out, is to defend the church. But he just said, I'm so sorry. And you were thoughtful enough to say, I don't think I changed how he felt for him to say say that. He could say that as a completely committed, warm LDS person. And I thought that was a great ministering principle and how helpful that was that you just, you know, he wanted to hear more. And I love that. I love then your your next bishop and your feelings, Heather, about I want to be involved in this ward. You use some words, value, and belong, and an asset. And he didn't know anything about you. Mm-hmm. This is post-COVID. Your mom has just died. And, you know, you've been extended to call being primary. And then you share vulnerably, correctly so, your feelings about LGBTQ people. And then vulnerability, unless it's, it can be scary. And so I get how the next Sunday you're wondering how this has gone down. You have no history with this bishop. And I love his heart also that he... You know, this is why we need you in primary, because you love people. And you can still be seen as an asset and value and belong and how important those attributes are for Latter-day Saints and and how that isn't sameness, but it's so important to create a feeling that members are needed and valued and can serve, even if we don't all have the same beliefs. And I loved your comment as conflict is the doorway to connection. Believe that I, I, you know, I just. But the way you talk about that is so helpful. We scared of we're scared of conflict in our in church sometimes in our in marriages and culture. This is a, that's a comment that scales throughout all society. Um, but it's you know in the respect of that, I can't imagine you imagining you know when you in the first five years your marriage that you would read your husband's resignation letter and say kind things about yeah. on a podcast. <laughs> and um, I just love that you respect each other's road and that Matt could fully process his feelings 
and the pain and you could fully process your feelings and you model this space of we're going to support and love each other and realize we're having different experiences about the church. We're not going to try to change that. Um, your ex- it's one of the best podcasts we've ever done is your experience, Heather, is your experience. And Matt, your experience is your experience and they're different. And you're recognizing that and you're not trying to change that about each other. You're not trying to take my experience. I think that's just the reality of life. And it takes a lot of grace. It takes a lot of therapy. You've talked about differentiation a couple of times, but therapy is a good thing. It sounds like you've had a good therapist. Strong couples go to therapy because they are strong enough in their commitment to each other and their desire to make things work that they're humble enough to go to therapy <laughs> and be willing to look inward and say, what do I need to change um, to make this work? And this is a podcast that helps. I've never thought of different ways you can resign, Matt. <laughs> um, I'm generally aware you just contact church headquarters and it's a fairly mechanical process. Right. And your local leaders are then notified. But it's an insight to you that you thought two or three steps past your resignation letter and you sent that to your local leaders because you wanted to continue to participate with your community. And you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think for listeners, if, if there'll be listeners listening, wondering, is that going to be my road? But I think you need to do that. If you feel it's your road, there may be some things that Matt's helpful on that, on just doing with intention, involving people that you care about. Um, you could have maybe resigned five or 10 years ago. I don't know when it first thought best in your mind, mm-hmm. but eventually it became the right thing for you. And I think Go slow is generally my advice if, and try to do this in a way, it's not going to be easy, <laughs> as you, but do it in a way that is the best way it can be done. And I it was really thoughtful to send that to your local leaders and that they want to continue to include you. I thought, you know, I've never really thought about this too much, but it's sort of like now we're treating you like a non-member. Hopefully we're treating you as kindly as we do non-members in our board boundaries. We're not treating you differently than just we treat a non-member. In fact, we should treat you better because you've given so much to our faith community and dedicated so much time to your point, Heather. But we, we had a non-member teach Sunday school um, in our ward 10 or 15 years ago. It, was, it wasn't the Book of Mormon listeners. It was the Bible. And he was a really thoughtful Bible scholar and did a great job. And I'm not sure that's in the handbook. You can still do that. I don't keep track of everything in the handbook. But I, there's nothing in the handbook that presents you, prevents you from participating in that way. Right. And so I, and it keeps your connection with the community, which you still want. Right. So I thought that was really thoughtful and just a better way going forward. Um, I think of Gene Kratz's comment. I use that quite a bit on the podcast. And if you haven't heard it before, Apollo 13 is going sideways. It's kind of a worst case scenario. You probably felt like Apollo 13. Mm-hmm. Um, the missions, they're just, you know, the mission's been aborted. They're not sure they get the crew back. And Gene, and everybody's negative around the mission leader, rightly so, because there's faced with the Morant's problems. And he just stands up and says, excuse me, this is going to be our finest hour. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, this is your family's finest hour. And where you are as a family and your love for your kids and this no empty seats and the hard work you've done 
to preserve this marriage. And you recognize that it's not going to be everybody's story and to keep this family close and honor individual paths to me is the gospel of Jesus Christ and how we love and support and help each other and honor personal agency and keep relationships going. So I learned a lot and this podcast will help listeners. I got an email this week of somebody that's concerned or just navigating a, a gay member of their family and their partner stepping away from the church, but wanting everybody else in the family to leave with them. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that some may feel that if you felt the pain you felt, Matt, you might naturally want everybody to leave with you. Um, but maybe not. You obviously haven't. Sure. I know I get that. I mean, I understand when people do that, but that hasn't been that hasn't been how I have felt. But I but I I've seen people react that way and I can understand that. And maybe they're at the eighth floor at the elevator of Heather's elevator. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, my advice in those situations is preserve their family relationship. Try to go slow and try not to have the ultimatums um, mm-hmm. that, that may separate families in a way that we regret later on. And that goes for, like, people in the church and people that have stepped away from the church. It's a two-way street. But part of our responsibility for those that are church members is to do kind of what your bishops have done and what your wife has done is acknowledge the pain of your road and validate pain even if we haven't felt it and recognize your contributions for decades. I mean, you served a mission, I believe, along the way. We didn't even get to that. Yeah, Where did yeah. you serve? I was in Brazil, Curitiba. And um, the church has grown substantially in Brazil. And so there's just a lot of people whose lives are better because of Matt Robertson, um, your professional work, your church work, your working in your community, your family. And I recognize you miss that as you can't authentically stay in that space. Mm-hmm. So I think it's okay is to validate the pain you feel. And in this book, I'm going to mention in a second, we had a woman who had somebody in the early society stepped away from the church and they thought we're going to, it wasn't an official release society event, but we as women are going to get together and just, I don't know if they called it a party, but an event to thank her mm. for all the years she served in the release society and to say, in this event, we want to continue to have relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And it was just what you've done in your marriage, but heal the possible divide and keep us together in the same family and, and not just, we're silent because we don't know what to say. And that's not helpful. So it's education, what we can say. More thoughts that come to your mind. Um, I, I was thinking about, as, as, as you were talking about, just the, just the huge variety of journeys that people have and how helpful it is. Um, just like you mentioned about the, you know, which I do understand somebody saying I'm leaving and I think everybody else should go. I can, I can really relate to people who are, I think there are people who experience a certain amount of trauma within the church and that it's very difficult for them to understand if somebody else who loves them is also staying associated with the church, that that can be a very difficult thing to understand. That's real. And I all frequent and frequent happen. Yep. And, and I can also understand somebody where being in the church is such an important part of their identity, such an important core part of their life to have an ultimatum that says, well, it's either me or the church could be that, that, um, I, I don't know if I were in their shoes, I don't think I would experience that as being particularly helpful or as being, you know, it's, it's like the flip side of the Abrahamic, of the Abrahamic test. 
it's like, you know, not only should you not sacrifice me on the altar, but you need to, you need to, you know, you need to get out of here or whatever. And I don't know, although that. I think, I, I think a lot of, I'm, I've, I've heard other parents who have talked about, um, you know, my, my gay child is angry that I'm still going to church. That's super common. Mm-hmm. And understandable, if you look at it from the perspective of the child who thinks my mom is choosing an institution over me, like that is how many of them perceive that. That hurts deeply, you know, to think I'm their child and they're choosing an institution, even though that's not the way the mom sees it or the dad or whoever. Mm -hmm. You know, there's different perspectives there, but I can see why that would be so excruciatingly painful. Luca, I mean, we, like I've mentioned, we've had this open dialogue and support of each other's journeys. And Luca knows where I stand. He knows I will have his back. And he's never seemed threatened by me attending church. In fact, there have been times that, like, I'll talk to him about my lessons because I don't want to say anything in my lessons that would contribute to to pain down the road for these children. And I know he's experienced a lot of church trauma. I don't want I don't want to do that. So I'll talk with him. Like how does this sound? What do you think of this part of the lesson? You know, how can I um portray this or whatever? And he he'll say, "Mom, I'm so glad you're still going to church. You're making a difference." So <laughs> yeah. it's cute. Way he just go, I feel <laughs> like cute. there's a lot of support in our family of, you know, you do you. And I know your heart is actually within the family. Like that's, that's where all of our support will be. If Luca said to me, mom, it's painful that you're, you're going to church. To be honest, I would stop. I would, I would put that on hold. And I'm not saying that should be anyone else's choice. But I think the fact that he knows that about me, that he knows he is number one to me. Interesting then he is able to support me because he knows where my heart is. And he knows that I am there trying to help others who might be in his same shoes have a place that feels safe. I want every kid in my primary class to know they belong and that Jesus loves them. That's my primary goal. And let them leave primary knowing that's a place where I felt safe and where I felt loved. Yeah, I think just, and just generally, I think ultimatums fail to, and and I do think they're often understandable on any direction that they come from, but I think, I I think oftentimes they fail to take into account the amount of complexity in anybody's, in anybody's life, in anybody's feelings, and anybody, people are really complicated. Yeah. Life is complicated. Things are, it's, Yeah. That was just a terrific segment. You've got great kids. I've met your, I think I've met some of your kids. You've got two wonderful sons and a wonderful daughter and Miles, Emily, and Luca. And if you're listening, um, I'm thinking of you, Luca, in this conversation with your dad, where your dad's just talking about the terror you feel about who you are, but your courage to come out um, to both of your parents and the love they have for you and that you're alive and moving forward with your life. This is, your parents aren't going to tell your story right now because they're respectful of your story, but respect for all of the Robertson children and just they're part of this beautiful love story too. Um, so it's great to know them. Um, I just will mention listeners, um, 
by the this podcast comes out kind of about when my book is released. It's book number three, Listen, Learn, and Love, Building Good Chip Zion. But there's a couple of chapters in there that really are consistent with what the Robertsons are sharing. Chapter four is how should we leave those that how should we treat those that leave the church? And it's not an invitation to leave the church, but if people honor their own personal agency to leave the church, how should we treat them? And it's it's talking to those that leave and those that stay and trying to d- d- reduce this divide. But what the Robertsons just shared with us is probably better <laughs> than the book, the chapter. But the chapter starts when I attended affirmation and Troy Williams, um, the executive director at Equality, spoke. And this is 2017. I was a brand new ally. And I thought, is he, you know, this is new territory for me to hear from a gay um, former latter day Saint, part of an organization that's working to change legal working within the state of Utah to change laws to better support LGBTQ people. And he spoke directly to people like me. He says, if you're in the church and want to stay in the church, uh, stay in the church. And it was really, I just didn't think I'd ever hear that from somebody who left the church. And it's sort of what Luca's saying to you, mm-hmm. you know, if you wrote us to stay in the church, stay in the church. Yeah. And do what you can within your circle of influence to influence the experience of others. But the maturity of Troy, who, you know, doesn't, and his bridge building efforts, I think are remarkable. Um, the other chapter that Matt just brought to my mind is the chapter before that, ministering to those with church-generated pain or trauma. And I had a therapist, Tanya Miller, write that, who's LDS uh, and just knows this space really well from a clinical perspective, from a personal perspective. And it's this narrow space where, well, it shouldn't be narrow. We're just honoring church-generated trauma. And the way that I frame that up is I believe in the church and support the church, but it's not perfect and its people aren't perfect. So it's capable of generating church-generated trauma. And some of that may be unintentional. (coughs) Some of it may be a, a leader where there is sort of intentional or harm created. So there's kind of, but she talks about you know, how do we help fellow Latter-day Saints heal from that? There's a lot do want to heal from that. It's complicated, as Matt knows firsthand, and you've seen firsthand. So anyway, this book's on Amazon. You can put my name in there if you want to go a little deeper on those two chapters. All the things I write, the proceeds are donated to charity. This is just a labor of love. Um, but tender subjects to help us become a Zion people. And a Zion people is sort of like the Robertson family. My first definition of Zion is a people that all believe the same, thought the same. And that's certainly the Zion I grew up in, and that's awesome. <laughs> but another version of Zion is the Robertson family. This is Zion um, because of the love, unity, support, having each other's back, creating an environment where your children feel loved and supported and are thriving. It's Zion. In my book, I, I use that term to, in a situation like this because it's a beautiful family love story. And it's very unexpected from what your original hopes were, but it's the work you've done and the way you share that with listeners that want to get to the space you're in and sort of find peace if you're in the church like Heather and wondering, have I lost my eternal family? And you've just said, I'm leaving at the Savior's feet. There's no empty chairs right now. It's relieving. You're not everybody's Savior (laughs) and you're not the perfect family anymore. You've sort of given up on that. I'm not sure you really (laughs) said you were the perfect family, but you wanted to you know, I have kids that follow traditional LDS path, and so there's grief in that. But there's this is just a beautiful story. It's helped so, me learn to live in the present. 
honestly. Yeah, and that's been sure. really important for me. So I'll quit sharing thoughts because uh, anything else that comes to mind, though? I, one thing popped into my head as you were talking about the, you know, the good ship Zion and everything like that. I, I mentioned before my love for the scriptures and I find so much, you know, inspiration in those, in those stories and the, the, um, one thing that we see over and over and over and over again is that the other, whoever the, you know, the, the other, the person who is on the outside of the in-group always comes from within the family. It always starts in the family. They're already here. Whoever the other is, they're already here. Adam and Eve have two kids. And what happens? It's like, you know, you've got Lehi's family. You've got all of the, you know, all of these families throughout. It's like Abraham's family. Wherever there is an othering that happens so many times, it comes back to, and that tells me, I think that among other things, there is a great principle there of understand that the other is already here. There's nothing that we can do that will separate ourselves from whoever the other is. They're part of us. They're always part of us. And so what are we going to do with that? Love that. I love how you continue to use scriptures and your understanding about the scriptures to help us. And that Alma 31, 32, uh, it was really helpful and how the people that were on the margins were the people that responded to Alma's message and they needed very things that Heather talked about, value, belonging, you felt like an asset and not to feel like they're on the margins. So listeners, act on the impressions in your circle of influence, whether yourself, I've wrote down some things that I'll try to do better on to just bring us together the same human family. But I'm so grateful for Heather and Matt Robertson and their willingness to share their stories. So this is all of us signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <music>